Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. KNBC, our affiliate in Los Angeles, is reporting that Corey Haim was found dead early this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Haim. As a child star, Corey Haim was the poster boy for 1980s Hollywood, starring in a string of hit movies that peaked with the cult horror comedy The Lost Boys. He was projected by critics to become one of the great actors of his generation, but something went wrong. By the age of 18, the movie roles had dried up, and he lived his adult life on the fringes of Hollywood, bankrupted and forgotten. But on the 10th of March, 2010, he was admitted to Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank, California, under mysterious circumstances. And less than an hour later, he died. Early reports say he suffered a drug overdose. His addiction to drugs was well documented. It's been a battle, an absolute battle. But in the months leading up to his death, friends and family said he was clean and sober. People need to stop saying it's a drug overdose until we know exactly what the toxicology reports say. Nobody knows. When he finally cleaned himself up and he got off of all the drugs that he was addicted to, Corey was booking lead roles in films left and right. I was very happy he was doing so well. He was clean. He had his life together. We know that he was a renowned drug user, but his friends and his family say that he's been clean months leading up to his death. So, has he fallen off the wagon and had a terrible relapse? Or is there something else that's going on that ultimately led to his death? Dr. Michael Hunter is a world-renowned forensic pathologist. He's performed over 4,000 autopsies to investigate and reveal the cause of death. Today, he's the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities. After Corey Haim died at St. Joseph's Medical Center, an extensive autopsy was performed, and I have the autopsy report right here. And I'm going to use this to piece together the reasons why this young actor died so tragically in his late 30s. March 7th, 2010, Burbank, California. Three days before Corey's death. Corey and his mother, Judy, are at the hospital, but the appointment is for her, not him. Two years before, she had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and Corey is supporting her through her treatment. He lives alone, so she has moved into his modest apartment in Burbank to be closer to him during this time. Although he made millions in his teenage years, now Corey's finances are not in great shape. Noah Burlow, neighbor and friend, Corey was struggling financially. Uh, he was not getting paid the money that he used to be getting paid. He was not working full-time on a regular basis like so many other actors were. But recently, he felt that he had turned a corner with both his health 
and his career. You could just see it in his eyes. He was ready for his comeback. Corey had just finished another movie, Decisions. Although it wasn't a Hollywood blockbuster, it meant he was working again. He was also in talks about a new project with Hollywood producers, this time to direct as well as act. At first glance, I see his body has no obvious outward signs of trauma. He's well built, he has a normal weight. I mean, he appears to be externally a healthy 38 year old. And the only thing I'm seeing here are multiple tattoos. Corey had a tattoo of a bat on his right arm, and another tattoo with a quote from the Lost Boys film Thou shall not fall. It's a memento from the peak of his fame and success. Miss Sucker. Once, pal. In 1987, the Lost Boys hit theaters and catapulted its young cast to stardom. Blending horror and teen comedy with a hip soundtrack, it quickly became a cult favorite of the 1980s. Death by stereo. And it made its star Corey one of the most famous children in the world. Corey shared the spotlight with his Lost Boys co-star Corey Feldman. The two became best friends and a frequent double act, even starring in their own reality show called The Two Corys in 2007. Corey Haim was born in Toronto, Canada in 1971. By the age of nine, he had taken an interest in acting and was soon getting TV and film roles in his home country. Hi, I'm Lucas. His big break was the title role in Lucas at the age of 14. Corey was nominated for exceptional performance by a young actor in a feature film, comedy or drama at the Young Artist Awards for his performance. His parents decided to make a permanent move to L.A. so he could pursue his acting career. Soon the roles started flooding in. Scott Schwartz, childhood friend. He pretty much could have done anything. He had a stack of about 12 scripts this tall on his counter. But by the end of the 1980s, after the mega success of The Lost Boys, his star started to fade. Corey was succumbing to the Hollywood cliché of child actor turned obscure adult. Dr. Nikki Monty, psychologist on The Two Corys. He had had the few down years, you know, people just not giving him opportunities. He was anxious to set things right, to get back on track, to make things work. The next thing I noticed in the external examination is that he has calluses on his right index and middle finger. And this indicates to me that he was a smoker. Corey Haim was a smoker for the majority of his life. It was one of his many dependencies. While smoking isn't unusual, what is a bit odd is he has these calluses on the tips of his fingers. And this tells me two things. One is that he smokes a lot. And then secondly, he's smoking these cigarettes all the way to the end of the butt. And that's causing thermal injury to the tips of his fingers. It also indicates that he has a very major addiction to nicotine. Smoking can cause all kinds of health problems 
And when I look further into the autopsy report, under the heading kidney, I see the term nephrosclerosis. Nephrosclerosis is kidney injury, oftentimes associated with high blood pressure, but you can also see this in people who have diabetes. Over time, this can be a fatal condition, but it's usually not associated with just smoking. There are oftentimes other contributing factors that lead to this. After filing for bankruptcy in 1997, at the age of 28, there was a time when Corey rarely left his apartment. He spent most of his time in bed, overeating. His weight ballooned to 300 pounds. He went through a period where, you know, his weight, his weight had gone up and he looked sort of heavy. I didn't like looking in the mirror anymore. I couldn't do it and tying my shoe like any way I could because I couldn't honestly rest my arms. I hit about my peak, about 302. For the next 10 years, his weight yo-yoed as his lifestyle declined. At one point, he was even reduced to making money by selling his teeth and clumps of his hair on eBay. Then in 2009, his mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a wake-up call for him. He realized that he had to start finding a way to not only clean up his act, but also improve his craft in a way that he can get more opportunities. Corey's blood was sent to be tested for diabetes. But I can see from the results that although he was at risk for diabetes, he didn't have it. So it wasn't involved in his death. There are, however, worrying clues in the toxicology report that makes me question his mental state in the days and months leading up to his death. Despite the recent return to health and work, he was taking the drug Prozac, an antidepressant. March 7th, 2010, Burbank, California, three days before Corey's death. Having taken his mother to her hospital appointment, Corey is home alone. With his days on the Hollywood A-list a distant memory, Corey sees few people beyond his mother, some friends, and neighbors. Zilva Viserdi, neighbor and friend. I'm positive Corey had some great friends growing up, but honestly, in the time that I knew him, there wasn't anyone around. There was a hard spot for him because he, more than ever, he needed friends, not acquaintances, true friends, love, friendship, shoulder to cry on. Holly Fields, ex-fiance and friend. There was a sadness about him. I think because he had been hurt by people. Prozac isn't the only drug that tells me something about his mental state. I can also see from the report that he was taking a lanzapine. And this is usually prescribed alongside Prozac to treat bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is a condition that affects your moods. These individuals will go from depressed to manic and back again. Drug abuse among people with bipolar disorder is common because they're trying to gain some type of control over these fluctuating moods. And if Corey did have bipolar disorder, it would have put him at increased risk for relapse. I don't think that Corey refused to talk about 
the deeper issues because he was ignorance is bliss at all. I think that Corey refused to talk about the deeper issues because he was afraid it was a Pandora's box. You let me get around in my life, man, raped, so to speak, when I was about 14 and a half, and I'm saying this right now. On March 10, 2010, Hollywood actor Corey Haim died in a hospital after being admitted under mysterious circumstances. He suffered a drug overdose. Initially, the media assumed that the cause of death was a drug overdose. Now, medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter is analyzing the autopsy report to discover the truth behind Corey's death. I have discovered in Corey's autopsy report that he was taking Prozac and Olanzapine. These drugs are used to treat depression and bipolar disorder, which raises the question to me about the state of Corey's mental health. So depression is, is simply feeling low, yeah? It's unipolar mood disorder. So it's just when I feel low, when I feel hopeless and helpless. Bipolar disorder is about feeling both low and having periods of feeling high. There's no mention in the investigative reports that Corey even had bipolar disorder. So it's strange that he was taking lanzapine. However, both of these antidepressants are at a very low level. And regardless of why he was taking them, he didn't overdose and they didn't contribute to his death. But these are not the only drugs in the toxicology report. There are also traces of THC in his system. And this tells me that he had recently used marijuana. 1986, Hollywood, California. Hey, Corey! Hey, got you hey. By the age of 15, Corey was a rich and famous teenager. Off the set of The Lost Boys, there was a party atmosphere. And for Corey, it was his first introduction to drugs. Corey came from Canada to Los Angeles, and this little kid ended up getting way too much responsibility for someone that young, and he wasn't supervised enough. Being a child actor basically means two things. You have too much time on your hands and too much money to spend. Can they get into mischief? Absolutely. He was also a child in pain. Having moved to L.A. with his parents to pursue his acting career, their marriage soon unraveled. They divorced, and his father, who had also been his manager, moved back to Canada. Go, just go. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, psychologist. Corey was devastated by his parents' divorce because he loved his mom and he loved his dad, and he was still very close with both of them, especially his mom. His mom and Corey were just... They had the most beautiful relationship. Children who've had traumatic experiences, um, we know now, are often predisposed to, in later life, experiencing things like depression and mood disorders. With the support of his family fractured and exposed to some of the most powerful players in Hollywood, Corey was in a highly vulnerable position. 
He later made a shocking revelation about what had happened during this time of his life when filming an episode of his reality show with Corey Feldman, The Two Corys. You let me get around in my life, man, raped, so to speak, when I was about 14 and a half, and I'm saying this right now. Were there people who took advantage of friendships and did things that they should not have done? Yeah. There are people who try and take advantage of children in Hollywood. You know exactly what I'm talking about. What'd you do, man, when you saw that going down when I was 14 to me? What'd you do? You knew about it. Corey's confession of what happened to him stunned America and was later substantiated by Corey Feldman. There's one person to blame in the death of Corey Haim, and that person happens to be a Hollywood mogul. And that person needs to be exposed, but unfortunately, I can't be the one to do it. March 5th, 2010, five days before his death. Corey is at the home he shares with his mother, Judy. Earlier that day, he had been to see a doctor about a shoulder injury and was prescribed some medications. He needs to go to the pharmacy, but as he doesn't own a car, he calls his friend Noah for help. I saw Corey uh, several times before he died. One of the first times was when he asked uh, for a ride to the pharmacy. Finding THC in Corey's blood makes me concerned that he's been smoking marijuana for a long time. Marijuana can be a gateway drug. So basically by gateway, it means you, you become sort of sensitized to, to feeling okay on a, on a drug that's relatively benign, and then you go into harder drugs. In the autopsy report, there's a note that says, and I quote, decedent admitted in past interviews to using cocaine. So, of course, the pathologist who performed the autopsy tested for cocaine. 1988, Hollywood, California. By the age of 17, Corey Haim had a serious cocaine addiction. I tried to get him to, to, to sort of rein him in a little bit, to, you know, rope him in and say, you know, dude, this is not really the way to go. Rumors of his drug usage started to reverberate around the industry. So much so that when he was 18, Corey was forced to release a promotional video claiming he had banished his demons. Well, as far as my fans out there, you know, they have every right to feel the way they do and things are great with me. As you see, I'm very in good shape now and um, on the ball, things are happening. My ex Victoria is inside. I got lost with Warner Brothers. Despite his claims of being sober, Corey was still often filmed by paparazzi appearing to be inebriated. I think I have an addiction to pretty much everything. I was what you would have called back then probably a chronic relapser for the rest of my life. However, looking at the autopsy report, he tested negative for cocaine and in fact, negative for all other illegal drugs apart from marijuana. So the claims by his friends and family that he was clean and sober around the time that he died is absolutely true. 
illegal drugs did not cause his death. March 8th, 2010, 4.30 p.m., Burbank, California, two days before his death. Corey and Judy leave the apartment to play frisbee at a nearby tennis court. It's an activity that they both do regularly. He would play for hours on end in, on any other day. However, on that particular day, he'd lasted just a few minutes. He was exhausted. In fact, Corey is so tired that he has to be helped by his mother back to his apartment and into bed. Looking at the medical history, I can see one possible explanation for his sudden fatigue, and that's hypertension, commonly known as high blood pressure. Over time, hypertension can cause a number of serious medical problems, some of which can be fatal, stroke, and even a heart attack. But I've checked the autopsy report concerning Corey's brain, and there are no aneurysms, and his cerebral arteries are healthy. He did not die of a stroke. However, digging deeper into the toxicology report, I can see that Corey was taking some serious prescription drugs. The doctor promised him you need this. So he took the bills like he was told, and he shouldn't have. So if any of my listeners are like me, you have maybe started to notice that you have some gray hair starting to come in and it maybe has been a little while since you've been able to get to the salon or you're a little hesitant to try out just sort of a store-bought hair dye. Um, I know that sort of thing always makes me a little nervous. You never know quite what color it's going to turn into, but... What's great is now you can take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. You really deserve gorgeous professional hair color and it gets delivered to your door starting at just $22. You know, for so long, women have only had the options of going to the salon or using a store-bought kit. And I think that Madison Reed has really changed the game here with the different amazing colors that they have and being able to just find it online using their website. You can go through and pick your perfect color, find your perfect shade. It was really easy for me and I'm really excited to get these gray hairs gone and get a new hair color that really makes me feel excited and ready to take on anything. And what makes Madison Reed color really unique and why it's so great is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend all types of nuances of light and dark and warm and cool tones to create over 55 gorgeous multi-dimensional shades. So you will definitely find a shade that works well with your hair color. Or if you want to change it up, that's fun too. Um, you could <laughs> try a whole different color. Why not? Now's the time to do it. Um, find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And right now, autopsy listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LASTHOURS. That's code last hours, L-A-S-T-H-O-U-R-S. In March 2010, Corey Haim died in a Burbank hospital at the age of 38. The media reported a drug overdose. Dr. Michael Hunter, a world-renowned forensic pathologist, is investigating Corey's death. 
He has discovered that Corey's well-documented battle with illegal drugs did not kill him. March 8, 2010, 5 p.m., Burbank, California. Two days before his death. Corey was suddenly taken ill while playing frisbee with his mother. Looking at the toxicology report, I can see something that might tell me why Corey was feeling so weak. It looks like he had a bad cold. He was taking a number of over-the-counter medicines, including dextromethorphan, which is a cough syrup, uh, diphenhydramine, it's an anti-allergen, and ibuprofen, which treats pain, fever, and inflammation. March 9th, 10.30 a.m., the day before his death. Corey is taking medications to treat what he thinks is a cold. Noah calls Corey to see if he is available to meet up. Judy answered his phone, and she said, yeah, Corey's not feeling well. Um, we had gone out to play Frisbee, and uh, he, he's really not doing so good. He's, you know, he's, he's just, uh, he's got a fever, and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really feel well. He's just resting right now. It's March, early March. It's kind of coming out of winter. Like people get sick. No, no one thought anything of it. 11 a.m. Corey is still in bed, feeling unwell. He hasn't gotten up since 5 o'clock the evening before. Suddenly, he's gripped with nausea. Judy takes Corey back to the bedroom and gives him some more cold medications to ease his symptoms. Something else in the autopsy report catches my eye, and it makes me think that there's something more serious than simply a common cold. Corey's blood was subsequently tested for influenza, which can be potentially fatal. Influenza, or flu, is caused by a virus infecting the respiratory system. It affects the nose, throat, bronchial tubes, and lungs. It can cause acute respiratory distress, which can be fatal. One p.m., thirteen hours before his death, Corey's condition is not improving. Hello? His mother calls the doctor. Yeah, hi, doctor. I was hoping to see my son. He's just not improving. Four p.m. Okay. We'll take a look. Let me look at you, Corey. Corey has a fever of 101. The doctor concurs with Judy's diagnosis and agrees he has the flu. Looking at the results of Corey's blood tests, I can see that he tested negative for both influenza A and influenza B. Whatever was making him sick that day, it wasn't the flu. 
I haven't gotten to the bottom of this yet, but I have found something that is a true turning point in my investigation, and it corroborates Corey's history of addiction. Digging deeper into the toxicology report, I can see that Corey was taking some serious prescription drugs. One is diazepam, commonly known as Valium, and that's used to treat anxiety disorder. The other is carisoprodol, also known as Soma, and that's a potent muscle relaxant. These are not prescribed to treat the symptoms of either a cold or a flu. Four days earlier, Corey had visited a doctor complaining of a shoulder injury. He was prescribed these painkillers. The doctor promised him, you need this. And so he said, well, the doctor says I need it, so I'm gonna t I guess I should take it. So he took the pills, like he was told, as directed, and he shouldn't have. These are very strong drugs, and they're usually prescribed to treat serious injury. But I can see from the autopsy report that there was nothing wrong with his shoulder. However, I found something in the police report that worries me greatly. In the two weeks before Corey's death, he'd obtained prescriptions for no less than 553 different pills. Nobody seemed to want to help him. They just kept giving him more prescriptions for more pills. And in fact, at one point on air, I told him he was going to die. On March 10, 2010, news outlets started to report the death of Corey Haim. It was widely suspected that he had died of a drug overdose. Dr. Michael Hunter has already discounted that he died of an illegal drug overdose. But were there drugs of another kind that led to his death? I've learned that Corey obtained 553 pills in the weeks leading up to his death. And this is extraordinarily concerning. I'm not finding any medical evidence that explains why he was prescribed that much medication. Corey had seen a doctor four days prior to his death, complaining of a shoulder injury. But that wasn't the only doctor he saw in the days and weeks leading up to his death. I found an astonishing piece of information that puts a new light on this. Corey was engaged in a practice where he was visiting multiple doctors and getting many different prescriptions. He was undertaking the risky and dangerous behavior of doctor shopping. One of the biggest problems with prescription drugs and addiction to prescription drugs is that they're, they're sanctioned by doctors. Valium, Vicodin, Percodin, um, Soma, which was the killer for me. You take one of these things, you're knocked out for a day and a half. I used to take 15 of these things at once. We all are aware of the fact that Corey Haim has had a long and detailed drug history uh, and, and battled addiction for many, many years. I know it better than anybody because I've been the guy stuffing charcoal down his throat when he was ODing. And yet, Corey continually told the people around him that he didn't have a drug problem. 
You don't talk like a sober man, Corey Haim. You don't talk like a sober person. Well, Doc, you know, you got to stop talking about this drug stuff, you know, and, and stop that. That's just all you talk about. Yeah, well, right now, you don't look sober to me. Uh, Astra, Astra, His addictions were played out in the media, often appearing under the influence of drugs. Uh, going out of business and getting out again. Da -da -da. In the days leading up to his death, Corey had successfully convinced friends that his addiction was under control. But this wasn't the case. He even had his own doctor's pad for writing counterfeit prescriptions. I know that Corey had Valium and Soma in his system when he died. And both of these drugs can be highly dangerous if they're misused. But Soma is a particular concern to me. An overdose of Soma shuts the body's nervous system down, resulting in seizures, decreased heart rate and respiration, and ultimately death. And knowing Corey's history, I'm concerned that he took too many painkillers in the moments leading up to his death. March 9th, 2010, 8 p.m. Judy continues to monitor Corey's condition. His breathing is shallow and his fever is persistent. Mom. Corey asks his mother to lie beside him. Judy comforts her son until he falls asleep. March 10, 2010, 12.30 a.m. Corey wakes up disoriented and wanders around the house. Judy desperately tries to help her son. Corey suffers a sudden seizure. Corey stops breathing. Hello? 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 Corey? 12.54 a.m. Judy calls emergency services. This is the actual audio from the 911 call. Are you with him right now? Yes. How old is he? He's 38 years old. I don't know what's going on. He had a fever this morning and cold. Hey, how much is he awake right now? No. The operator instructs Judy to restart Corey's heart. But without CPR, there is no chance of survival. I'm going to get him on the floor. On the floor. Yes, he's on the floor. <laughs> One oh five AM. The ambulance arrives. Paramedics find all of Corey's vital signs are at zero, and they urgently try to restart his heart. Corey was administered multiple drugs in an attempt to revive him. 
I could see that they gave him adrenaline and atropine to help kickstart the heart. They also gave him injections of bicarb and Narcan, which is given for opiate overdoses. The paramedics need to get him to the hospital urgently if they're going to have any hope of saving his life. One thirty-four a.m. Corey arrives at St. Joseph Medical Center. He's rushed to the doctors, who manage to restore his pulse. Twenty minutes later, doctors believe they have revived him. But when they stop performing CPR, Corey's vital signs fade. 1:58 a.m. Doctors recommence CPR, but Corey remains unresponsive. Two fifteen a.m. Corey Haim is pronounced dead. KNBC, our affiliate in Los Angeles, is reporting that Corey Haim, you see him right here, uh, was found dead uh, early this morning. The 38-year-old died March 10th after collapsing in his mother's apartment. We got a call from Judy early in the morning. She was hysterical, and she just said, "Corey's gone," you know. And it's just the worst way to wake up. It's just the worst. Just you know, just hearing that and just knowing that life has has changed forever. I froze. My body just. I just got. I couldn't move, and I had this feeling a long time ago that would happen. But after speaking with him, he sounded fantastic. So I, I was shocked. A private Jewish funeral ceremony took place on March 16, 2010, at Steele's Memorial Chapel in Thornhill, Ontario. There is an investigative report attached to the autopsy. And in here, I see that Corey's house was searched after his death, and this provides additional evidence that gives me further clues. Searching his apartment, police find a number of prescription medication bottles. The list includes Valium, Soma, Haldol, and Zyprexa. In the days after he died, the Attorney General of California, Jerry Brown, held a press conference. Corey Haim went to seven different doctors.、Uh, he obtained、uh, went to seven different pharmacies, and this is emblematic of the abuse of these dangerous prescription drugs. I know that Corey had procured 553 pills in the weeks leading up to his death. Looking at the investigators' report, very few of these pills were found in his apartment when it was searched, meaning 
that they may have been consumed. However, when I look at the toxicology report, aside from the relatively low amounts of Valium and Soma, I can't see any other prescription drugs. And this means he definitely did not take those drugs in the days prior to his death. From this, I can conclusively say that Corey Haim did not die from a prescription drug overdose. It was something else that killed him. And I think I found the last piece of the puzzle that will tell me what killed Corey Haim. Corey Haim died at the age of 38, after many years of battling an addiction to prescription drugs. Initial reports claimed he had overdosed. But Dr. Michael Hunter has been studying the autopsy report and has discovered that a drug overdose is not what killed him. I'm getting closer to finding out why Corey died. And according to his mother, the moments prior to his death he was having a very difficult time breathing. And when I check the autopsy report to see what it says about the lungs, I find something that's truly shocking. Corey had diffuse alveolar damage. This was caused by a pneumonia. It's rare for a 38-year-old to get pneumonia, and Corey should have been at a very low risk of contracting this illness. Pneumonia is an infection that causes damage to the lungs. And one of the common causes for this is influenza. But we know that he didn't have this. The autopsy report is not specific about what caused Corey to have the pneumonia. Pneumonia is an inflammation of the tissues of the lungs. It inflames the microscopic air sacs known as alveoli, which swell and then fill with fluid. This hinders oxygenation. Pneumonia can be fatal if left untreated, but it's extremely rare for a man of Corey's age to die from this. There's got to be something else going on. Pneumonia creates an extra strain on the heart, and I can see that Corey had a history of a heart murmur, which in itself is relatively harmless. However, it makes me wonder what else the autopsy has to say about his heart. And what I find gives me the last clue I need to determine how Corey Haim died. I know he had a heart problem because he was always going like this and grabbing his heart. The autopsy reveals the cause of Corey's heart murmur was in fact a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is an inherited heart disease in which the heart wall becomes thickened. This can obstruct blood flow and cause cardiac arrest. Corey had a heart condition that uh, was something that he was suffering from from the time that he was born. Um, his mother tells us that he had a heart murmur, and he never quite got the right medication to treat that. He kept going to doctors to say, can you check my heart out? And they would kind of just, no, you're fine, because you're young, you're fine. That, I think I think that's what I what happened to him was his heart. Corey's original heart murmur developed into a much more serious condition that went undiagnosed. 
and I'm sure it played a major role in his death. His weakened heart placed him at increased risk of developing pneumonia. In the report, his mother states that Corey was getting over a cold, and that's where the problem really starts. I don't think he ever recovered from it. Two days before his death, Corey Haim complains of shortness of breath. This is the pneumonia causing his lungs to slowly fill with fluid. The coughing and fever are further symptoms of pneumonia. But when the doctor visits, she fails to diagnose it. Pneumonia victims tend to be children, the elderly, and those who have pre-existing natural disease that causes them to have an inability to fight off infection. And in this case, it's Corey's heart problem. The hypertrophic cardiomyopathy put him at increased risk for both developing a pneumonia and his inability to survive it. He simply couldn't fight this infection off. And I can now say that it was ultimately the pneumonia along with his cardiomyopathy that caused his death. Contrary to media reports that said it was a drug overdose, the coroner's report stated that Corey had died of pneumonia, listing his heart problem as a significant contributing factor. Despite spending most of his life addicted to drugs of one form or another, that's not what killed him. In a tragic twist of fate, Corey Haim died solely of natural causes. Corey's bat tattoo was inscribed with the words, Thou shall not fall. Ultimately, he was unable to adhere to that motto, as he spent most of his life battling addictions and unable to fulfill his potential. It's ironic that his claim to fame was the Lost Boys, because he really was a lost boy, and he was a lost boy to the very end of his life. I miss his smile, I miss his laugh, you know, I mean, he was like my little brother and I basically miss him every day. Wish he was here, should be here, making the world a more fun, better place. I, I miss my little bro. Every time he would run into some amazing actor, they would always come up to him and say how impressed they are by him. I think he, if, he, if he had gone in the right direction, he would be such a respected movie star now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels' channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 